Bobby Jones, we're going back in time, uh, was considered one of history's best golfers. But um, there was something more about Bobby that people knew. Yeah, he was a, a great golfer, but he also was a man of his word. He was a man of integrity. He won 13 majors before he retired at the age of 28. That's pretty impressive. For me, you know, when I, when I see golf, uh, that, that, that would be me on a miniature golf course, you know, mini golf. That's where I spend my time. Uh, the big, you know, 18 holes, I, I can't handle it. Can't do it. But I'm good in miniature golf, like many of you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it reminds me, uh, when we were in Florida a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> there's a, I should have a picture of it, but I don't. Uh, there's a miniature golf place there that uh, we've been going there for years, and it, you know, back in the day, it was like a buck fifty for adults, you know, bargain, fifty cents for kids, and you, golf is miniature golf is expensive, not in comparison to real golf, but I mean it is expensive when you're bringing a family, and uh, the place we would go is called Goofy Golf, and they've got dinosaurs out front and. Um, it's, it's a fun place. So anyway, I'm giving you a little backstory on Bobby Jones and my story. Um, maybe many of you can identify with miniature golf versus real golf, but so be it. So anyway, but more than all the victories uh, in golf, Bobby Jones was famous for the one-shot penalty that he took at the 1925 United States Open. He inadvertently touched his golf ball. I mean, just nicked it. And he assessed himself. He put it on himself, a one-stroke penalty, even though nobody else saw him nick the ball, you know? The guys around him, the tournament officials, the, the gallery, nobody saw it, but he saw it. It was just enough to get his attention. And Bobby you know, could have very easily justified not taking the penalty. You know, he could have thought, well, nobody saw me knock, nick it, and uh, it really is not going to matter in the big scheme of things in this open. But Bobby Jones could not violate his conscience. He assessed himself a penalty and ultimately lost the open by one stroke. The one stroke after giving himself a penalty. So when the tournament officials tried to compliment him for his integrity, Jones simply said, you might as well praise me for not breaking into banks. <laughs> There's only one way to play the game. And so Bobby Jones lived his life um, by his convictions, man. He had a core. He had something on the inside that was his moral compass. And no matter what, he would never compromise. And we saw it here in 1925. And in doing so, by him living by his convictions, he honored the integrity of the game. One sports writer, Herbert Wind, wrote, In the opinion of many people, of all the great athletes, Bobby Jones came the closest to being what we called a great man. 
That's pretty cool. At the end of the day, I would hope, friends, and I, I'd like to drill down on the men here, that we would be known as being a great man. Not a perfect man, but a great man. We were, we were men who lived by our convictions and by our core values. We didn't let our culture dictate how we should compromise or whatever the case may be. And so Jones could have won that tournament, but he would have lost his integrity in the process. Uh, winning the U.S. Open wasn't worth a one-stroke penalty on his integrity. And I don't know about you, man, but I get, I get fired up when I read and hear stories like that. How about you? It's a challenge, and it's encouraging that we ourselves need to step up and follow because we know if Jesus was playing golf and he nicked the ball and nobody saw him do it, I think he would have assessed himself a one-stroke penalty, wouldn't you? And so that's where Bobby Jones came in. Hey, if Jesus would do it, I'm going to do it. And so that's where we're landing today. And uh, in our staff meetings, um, we address the importance of integrity from time to time. And uh, I can tell you that uh, I've been pastoring for 35 years, and um, I have endeavored, I'm not perfect, but I've endeavored to live my life in such a way that it would not bring a cloud into the integrity of Jesus Christ. I, I don't want to hurt his fame, his credibility, his kingdom. And I've told the guys, I said, it's taken me decades to have a reputation. I think when people think of Bob Lee, they would say, in, in a way like Bobby Jones, that, you know, I hope they can't find something, you know, well, that guy cheated over here, or he did this over here, and he was mean to this person over here. But they would think, yeah, uh, that dude, you know, he really modeled the character of Christ. And so, even though it's taken me decades to, to build a reputation, I could destroy my reputation in 10 minutes. And I believe that in our culture today, there is such pushback against the backbone of morality and people following after Jesus Christ, our culture is pushing hard against that to where we all become compromised. And so they can really undermine the credibility of Christianity and the, and the power of Jesus Christ living in a person and transforming their lives. That's what our culture wants to do. And so... Um, that I am always aware of that knock on the door for me to open it and to compromise. It's always knocking. That, that hand, that invisible hand is always knocking because it's easier to go down a stream, a current, when you have no backbone. And so today as we look at Daniel... Um, you 
know, one stroke of sin can destroy your reputation. You know, one stroke hitting that golf ball, you know, can prevent you from winning the Open, United States Open. So we need to, I, I believe we need to be committed to the, to the fact that becoming a follower and, and being a follower of Christ, it takes courage for sure. And we need the Lord's help, and he wants to help. And because um, he gets fired up when we model him to our world. <laughs> he sure does. He gets fired up over that. And, um, man, I just think Jesus goes to the freezer. He pulls out the ice cream, three bowls, one for him, one for his Father, and one for the Spirit of God. Let's celebrate, man. We've been, we've been you know, endeavoring to get this dude, this lady, to, to step up and become more like us. And look at that, man. Look what's going on in their lives. Whew. It's good. It's good. So... Let's look at Daniel, and you, I, we're going to read it again. <clears throat> Daniel uh, 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim, his reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So... <clears throat> Daniel and his buddies were part of the first 25% of the Jews that were being exiled to, to Babylonia. And uh, they were marked. Just like in the 1930s when Hitler started marking the Jews with forcing them to wear a yellow star. They were marked. Walking the streets, wherever they went, they were marked and identified as being Jewish. So the king had these young men, 15-year-olds, marked, we don't know with what, but they were known as Judah's royal family and part of the noble families in Judah. They were looked at as they've, been, had, they've had a good upbringing, they come from good stock, and we're going we're gonna, to destroy their heritage, and we're going to rebuild them from the inside out and make them great in our country. So, other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. So be it. So, this is not my home. Uh, there's a hymn, which we had a hymn sing a few Sundays ago, by the way. Uh, had a great time. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I don't even know how this song goes, man, but it's, it's good. I'm just making up the rhythm here. Somewhere beyond the blue. So when you look up in the sky, you know, and you think heaven, man, 
that's, that's where I'm going. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Are you passing through? I hope so. I hope so. Don't get locked into this culture and this world, man, because this is not our home. It's, you we're seeing right before our eyes, this, this planet is dissipating. Right? It is. And so that should make us realize I'm letting go of what I thought was so important, and this is what's important. Heaven is my home, and God is preparing a place for me. So after World War II, General MacArthur was uh, in charge of rebuilding Japan, and um, President Harry Truman appointed him as the military governor of Japan, and he kind of tag-teamed with the Japanese emperor as they rebuilt that nation. And of course, the power was transferred back to the Japanese after the Allied occupation ended in April 1951. But when MacArthur got there and U.S. forces were on the ground in Japan, they got the men together and they challenged them. And this is what they were told. You as individuals are representing the United States. Don't blow it. Don't become another example of the ugly American. Act in such a way that the Japanese people will gain a good impression of your country and what America must be like. Make us proud. Does that sound familiar? I, I could see even here Jesus walking up, man, and saying the very same thing. You call yourself followers of Jesus Christ, people are watching you. Don't ruin my reputation by the choices you're making and the way you're living your life. Make me proud. Right? He would. I believe it. As followers of Christ, man, our citizenship is in heaven. This, this ground we're walking on is foreign soil. It really is. We belong to the kingdom of God, and consequently, we need to be mirroring the character of Jesus Christ with quality. Um, otherwise, people will get a distorted perception of what our homeland is like, Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're living in a, in a pagan culture just like Daniel did. We are. But we need to remember that God has placed us here right now in history to make a difference for him. It's not, woe is me, and life is tough. But God has me here, right here, right now, because people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be proactive, not backing away, cowering in fear, being intimidated. And so, you know, we want to create a desire for others to immigrate to heaven, don't we? We do. Our missions create that, that thirst, that interest to know about Jesus Christ. So, you want to shock our culture? Anybody want to shock our culture? Man, we're being shocked by culture. But do you want to shock culture? This is what will do it. This is what will do it. You live an authentic Christian life. You continue to live for Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
So we're kind of encouraging each other right now. That means being different on purpose. It's letting your integrity speak for itself. Just like Bobby Jones did on the golf course. He let his integrity speak for himself. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to pat himself on the back. He had a reputation. And the second thing is we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Stay the steady course. Keep on being different. And um, just like Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Indeed. Indeed. So, Daniel was exiled into Babylon as, as a 15-year-old. He lived there for over 70 years in a culture that was anti-God, that was, uh, it had an agenda to destroy any framework of the one true God in the world, and they themselves wanted to rule the world as an empire and take everybody else along for the ride. They wanted to be part of that one world government. And so if we want to learn and, and mirror what Daniel found to be true 2,500 years ago, we can do that in 2023. We can follow his example and say, yes, that's, a, that's, that's worth reading and that's worth applying to my life. And um, so I'm glad God put Daniel in the Bible. Aren't you? Yeah. Uh, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. That's all I know. <laughs> all right, in your notes, uh, this is not my home. You've heard that. Intro, flares in the air. I love that slide. I love it. That's why we keep showing it. I do believe that there are flares in the air, by the way, that God is shooting to get our attention. And we've talked about that. Those things that we thought always would be, they're not. There's a flare in the air saying this world is crumbling and I'm giving you time to prepare yourself to become more like me because it's always good to pre-decide on how you're going to live when you're tempted or when a crisis comes. You know you plan ahead. You build boundaries around your life. And so many believers today are being compromised because they, they're not reading the Bible and they don't know what the Bible has to say about life situations or morals. And so they hear it on the news or they watch a talk show and they think, well, that must be, that must be true. And so we're seeing compromise throughout the body of Christ. And friends, I just want to encourage you, read the Bible. Read your Bible and find out what God has to say about these life issues that are under attack today. It doesn't matter what I think or you think on Facebook. If God said it, that's all we need to know. God said it, and, I, and, and that's what I believe. So I don't, it doesn't matter what I think or you think or the person across the street thinks. You know, we may, we may think we're important because somebody's listening to us, but friends, really, when it comes down to it, God said it very clearly. And that's what's right. 
So, <clears throat> so the flares in the air. Aren't you glad God's shooting flares in the air to get our attention? I am. Because it's so easy to become distracted and settle into the comfort zone, you know, just to go along to go along. No. Number two, God did it. We know, you know, in Daniel 1 and 2, we see that it says the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over the king of Judah. And you would say, how could that be? Well, God permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple, his temple. That doesn't make sense either, but again, we have to be reminded that God had been sending prophets to the nation of Israel for over 23 years, shooting flares in the air to try and get their attention to say, I'm the one true God. Don't be worshiping these phony baloney gods from these neighboring countries. <laughs> Come on. They're not the real deal, you know? And, and, and Israel became compromised on how they worship and who they worshiped. And so here's the cool thing, man. Daniel and his three friends out of this group of the first 25% of the Jews that were exiled, they evidently had been trained well. And um, that's encouraging. Number three, surrounded by evil, Daniel, uh, verses three through seven, the king ordered Ashpen as his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. And then he'd been brought to Babylon as captive. So, you know, you look at this dark cloud. Um, I, that's kind of ominous, isn't it? Huh? It's kind of a creepy picture. And it's, it's creepy on purpose because when you look at um, we're surrounded by evil, that's how you can feel. You know, it's kind of creepy. Um, like, I, I don't feel comfortable here. So... Let, let that image, uh, there's ominous clouds in the air, and we are, we are moving towards a one-world government. We are moving towards globalism, which fits revelation when the Antichrist will come and rule the world. We're moving in that direction. And so... Um, that's where you and I have to push back, you know? I'm not, I'm not, my one world government's about heaven. That's where I'm going. And uh, we're going to represent that kingdom, you know? That's where I'm going with it. So don't be intimidated by these ominous clouds. Again, it's just saying, hey, this is temporary. Uh, let's, let's major on what's permanent. That's going to be forever. And that's heaven. So surrounded by evil, then we see that Daniel and his friends were, were exiled 900 miles. That's the route they took to Babylon from Jerusalem. And in the midst of this nightmare, friends, this is something that we got to realize. In the midst of this nightmare that Daniel and his friends, they had their plans for the future. And all of a sudden, they were all it's gone. Daniel and his buddies didn't think, man, when I get older, I'm going to move to Babylon. You know? It's like, it's on the cutting edge of technology, and that's where I want to be, and that's where I'm going to get a career. That's not what they were thinking. 
And so when they ended up there, guess what? God showed up with them. God was in Babylon. And you think, how could God be here? It doesn't make sense. God is in America right now. God is in China right now. God is in Iran right now. And he's bringing people into his kingdom. Man, that gets you fired up. You think, man, that country's so far down the tubes. No, 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 no. God is working. Holy smoke, the underground church in China is exploding right now. And they're being threatened by the Chinese communist country. All their freedoms are being taken away. They're being, they're being watched constantly. They're, they're tech stuff, their phones. They're, they're checked in all the time, man. And yet it doesn't matter to them because they're living for a better kingdom. So, um, God showed up. I'm so glad God showed up. God showed up. God showed up in your world. He showed up in my world. No matter where we go, he's showing up. He's faithful. So brainwashed, what happens? They were, the king said, select strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge, good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in language and literature of Babylon. So we know that Babylon was known for its demonic influences. We know it was, um, they were into the astrology, they were into the occult, and um, they wanted Daniel and his friends to go into a three-year program where they would be brainwashed. You know, what they had been trained in in the past, uh, the culture they had grown up in, they wanted all that gone, poof, and be influenced by the Babylonian culture. So we see the language, their literature, all that stuff. And once again, it doesn't seem to phase Daniel and his three buddies, does it? They, they didn't say, we're going to boycott, we're going to picket these classes. You know, we're going to skip the classes, we're going to go on a quick trip, man. You know, when those classes are going on. No, they didn't do that. They, they, they went to those classes. Um, but I tell you, they knew what they believed. They knew what they believed. So they went to those classes. They heard all about the stuff, but it didn't influence because they knew what they had learned back home was what was true. And they were committed to standing with it. So we go on. Living life in Babylon, we're kind of feeling like, man, it feels like we're living in Babylon here right now in a long winter. Hey, waking up yesterday morning, were you fired up when you saw the snow? Huh? Oh, man. We love snow in March, right? Holy smoke. What happened? You kind of feel like you're in a long winter. <laughs> Maybe with the snow. But there are some people that feel like, man, our culture today, it feels like a long winter, you know? Man, do we need some sunshine. But, and the question is, will we keep living for the Lord? Will we bail out? Will we keep persevering with what we know is right? That's a good question.
to answer. And so as followers of Christ, we're always at the crossroads, man. And I, I love this picture. Um, I, I've used it before, but I, I should probably put that on my refrigerator, you know? Because we're all at that crossroads. Which way are we going to go? We're going to go for the Lord? Or are we going to back away? Are we going to let our culture move us in the direction they want us to go, to go on whatever road? Man, we're always at the crossroads. You and I are always having to make decisions and choices on how we're going to live our lives every single day. W.A. Criswell, he was a pastor, author, In the 1900s, he wrote, all of life is filled with crises and decisions. There are right decisions, wrong decisions, high roads, low roads, and almost every day there will be a fork in the road. Where you are today is due to the turn in the road you took yesterday. You see that? Every day we're making choices. The choices we make will determine where we end up today. And so we are a product of our choices. Yes, we are. We are where we are because of the choices we've made. And our decisions, friends, really must become our convictions. It's true. Our decisions that we make really should become our convictions. James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure, those who persevere, testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So perseverance under pressure pleases the Lord. You know? God's not looking for perfection. He knows we're human. But he's looking for perseverance because when we persevere under pressure, it helps us mature in our walk with the Lord. It does. Spiritual perseverance leads to spiritual strength, endurance, and maturity in Christ. And I think at the end of the day, that's where we want to land, isn't it? Certainly. So God's looking for and rewarding perseverance. And that's where we go with Daniel. Number two, oh boy, you have your pins ready to roll? We should stop and have a moment of silence, man. It's it's buffet in Babylon. Number two, buffet in Babylon. I get fired up over buffets because right there, uh, that's a picture of the Golden Corral. And, And we went to the Golden Corral a few weeks ago in Florida. The reason being, it was a historic moment. When our kids were little, we would always go to the Golden Corral in the south because at lunchtime, the, their, their prices are less expensive and um, pretty good food. Plus, they have great dessert. That's really what matters most, you know. Great dessert. The Golden Corral. I'm not getting any kickback on that, but I should. So what's going on here? The king's not only intent on changing Daniel and his friends with their language and literature, but he's also going after their their lifestyle, their diet. Now, for those of you that have been athletes, you understand that 
you understand what a training table is all about. And that's when you're in training, you don't get to eat what you want to eat. Right? I think. Or am I wrong? Somebody help me out here. Right? The training table, man. The coach tells you you can eat this and this alone. What the coach says goes. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good thing, but Daniel said no. Think about that. Who, who, who assigned the food menu? Who gave the menu to, to Daniel and his buddies? It was the king. Can you imagine saying no to the king? I don't want your food. Huh? Well, let me tell you, the, it was quality food, very good food. But <clears throat> we have to remember that these Jewish young men did not grow up on great food. It was kosher food, a kosher diet. And so, you know, there's no kosher deli in Babylon. You have to remember that. So when, when, when the king says, man, I got all this fancy food, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed to these guys, Daniel said no. And the three other guys followed behind him and said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and because... The, uh, these Jewish young men had been, you know, they had been fed kosher food. You know, this is what God wanted us to eat. God has a menu. He gave the Jews a menu on what they could eat and what, couldn't, what they couldn't eat. I want you to think about that. And so Daniel was aware of this temptation. You know, he's away from his mom and dad. I, I got, it, it reminds me, when I was in college, uh, you know, you had kind of that, it wasn't the golden corral, but it was some corral in the kitchen, right? You go through the line, and <clears throat> I was raised in a home where we didn't have dessert. You know, my mom was, the only time we had ice cream was when we had people over that were outside our family. So I was tormented, man, as a kid, growing up in that kind of environment. So when I got to college, when I hit the dessert line, I, I just went overload on it. I did. I have to tell you, I just went overload on it. My mom and dad, my mom wasn't there. Okay. She would have said, Bob, don't, don't take that other piece of pie. You've already had three. You know? Daniel was away from home, man. His mom and dad were not there. Far away, far away. How would they know what he was going to eat? You know? The pastor wasn't in the cafeteria. He wouldn't know. You know, Daniel's pastor, he wouldn't know. So why didn't he compromise? You know, it would have been the easy thing. This is, this is the kind of food, you know, that looks very attractive and appealing. And Daniel said, no, no. Um, here's the thing. Um, Daniel went along with the name change because he knew, he knew that they would change his name, but he also knew they would never change his heart. See, Daniel went along with the name change. He's okay, all right, we'll get more into that later. Um, Daniel went along with the teachings because he already knew what he believed. See, there, there's something about having core value, core beliefs, 
that no matter what's going on in our culture where people are saying, oh yeah, we were wrong about now we're changing it to think this is the way, this is the truth. No, it isn't. It's being diluted. So Daniel knew what he believed, and he was okay with learning, you know, their deal. But but when it came to eating the king's food, that's where Daniel drew a line. Because there's no biblical prohibition against taking a different name or learning what others believe. See, there's nothing there. But there is a strong prohibition about what a Jew was to eat. Friends, you see the difference there? Not only was the king's food not kosher, but it had been offered to idols. And not only that, they kept the blood in the meat. So we, we cooked some hamburgers on our grill the other day, and there was the, the blood. I know it sounds sick, but it was red. You know, Daniel would say, no, I can't eat that. Because the Bible says not to, and we'll get more into that later. Was Daniel a vegetarian? Huh? <laughs> no, he wasn't. He wasn't a vegetarian. Some people think, you know, the Daniel diet, you know, he was the one that came up with that. No, he wasn't a vegetarian, man. He ate kosher food in Judah, and he was planning on, on doing that uh, all the way to honor the Lord. So, uh, some of the meat was unclean in the Mosaic law. And Daniel and his friends were not willing to disobey the Lord, what the Lord had already communicated. It was clear to them that they should not eat any unclean food. I tell you what, I'm impressed with Daniel and his friends. Aren't you? Man, for a 15-year-old to settle in on that. Um. Plus, that food had already been offered to, to the idols. You know, they bring their food in, offer it to these dead statues. <laughs> and then they'd bring it in and eat it. And, and Daniel said, no, we're not going to do that. Can you imagine saying no to the king? I'm not going to eat your food. You know, he put his life on the line for that. You, you don't say no to the king. You don't say no to your coach. You don't say no to the king, man. <laughs> And so the question is, are you living to please the Lord? Here, here it is right here. Um, uh, are you living to please the Lord? That's a good question, I think. When we go through the menu here, uh, the buffet in Babylon, you know, it's so easy. Nobody knows. I can do this. It doesn't really matter. But Daniel realized God had already made it clear to him on how and what he should eat. And he was committed to that. Are we committed to God's word on how we live our lives? When nobody's watching on the golf course? Hmm? Are we a man, a woman of integrity? So we, we, need to, we need to answer that. Number three, we're moving right along. Say, so, did we answer the question? Are we living for the Lord? Huh? Some may say, Lord, I, I want to live for you. I'm not quite there yet. There, there is some things in my life that I need to, to change. 
Did I give you number three yet? Oh, okay. All right. Identity theft. Identity theft. Man, this is a big deal. Daniel, Hananiah, Meshiel, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. What do we hear a lot about in our media today? Uh, you know, advertisements, etc. Lifelock identity theft protection, right? Uh, Lifelock. You know, you don't want your identity stolen, man. And so in order to keep that from happening, you need to get into LifeLock. Ah, that's, that's good. I don't want my identity stolen. I hope you don't either. That's creepy, you know? Somebody walking around with your personal information, spending your money on their, your credit card. <laughs> uh, that's not cool. We feel violated. Well... That's kind of where Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were as well. During World War II, the Nazis created concentration camps to house, to ultimately exterminate the Jewish race. That's what they wanted to do. And so every Jewish man, woman, and child was assigned a number, which was tattooed on their arm on purpose. Never would the Nazis call Jews by their names, only by their numbers. And why was that? Because according to the Nazi ideology, the Jews were less than human. They were less than human. The propaganda machine went through Germany and Europe, stigmatizing the Jew as an animal, subhuman, etc., so the Nazis intend, intended to communicate to the Jews in every way possible that you're nothing. You're nothing more than a number. You don't have any individual value. You know, Your life really doesn't matter. And this world, this world we're living in right now, is hostile to God. And they're always trying to rename us. Have you noticed that? They are. Uh, and in some cases, they may reduce you to a number. And by the way, we do have social security numbers, don't we? Yeah, it seems not right. but So it will spare no effort to reclassify us as something less than God's highest order of creation. When you think about that, God created you and me in his image. He put his stamp. Boom, I created you as a human being in his image, designed for God's honor. And our culture today is undermining the value of human life. Have you noticed that? And friends, quite honestly, we are under an assault on identity theft. We are. And Daniel recognized that. They were given names at their birth, Daniel and his friends, that reflected their parents' faith in the one true God. How cool is that? The names of these young men represented their own growing faith as well. And um, even though they were separated from their families, uprooted from their culture, supported, that supported their faith, the Babylonian authorities assigned them some new names. 
And um, they were forced to make a decision. Would they accept the Babylonian and identities and beliefs associated with their new names, or would they remain true to God? Another question, another decision to make. And so parents today, what we, we tend to go out and buy a book name, you know, name of a book of names, like that, you know where they name their son and daughter after somebody famous. Uh, I know you're probably wondering, Bob, you know, Bob, B-O-B, spell it the same way forward, backwards. Well, that's pretty cool, I think. Somebody stayed up night thinking about that. (laughs) So I looked it up. You know, I, I looked up, what does Bob mean? I know what it means to me. Well, it means it's a British origin <clears throat> on my dad's side. Um, there's a lot of mixture of our mm, genealogy there. But it means bright and fame. So I smile and I thought, you know, bright and fame. When I was growing up, my dad always called me Bo. And, and so one day we had a conversation. How did that happen? I'm Bob, Robert. Why did you get me into Bo? You know, we cut a B out of there. And he said, well, one day, you know, we were with some friends, and, and they asked you what your name was, and that's what you said, Bo. You didn't get the second B in. So that means I was pretty young, and that thing stuck. That stuck with me for a long time. So, um, but anyway, I was named after my dad. You know, I was. My dad was Bob, Robert. I'm, I was Bob and Robert. And when you look in, in Luke chapter 1, uh, Zechariah, the prophet, priest, was in the temple. And, um, you know, Gabriel came and said, boom, you know, your wife's going to have a baby. And, um, and so back in the day, Zechariah would say, you know, well, I'll name him Zechariah, you know, after me. That's usually how it was, even back then. But Gabriel, the angel said, you're going to name him John. And it was when he came out and he said, we're going to name him John, that he was able to speak again. So names are important. And Jewish parents took naming their sons and daughters seriously because it reflected their faith in God. Um, God was the first namer in history. Did you know that? You know, when we're talking about namers, God was the first one. He gave Adam his name. And God was the first renamer, changing Abram's name to Abraham. So he knows what he's doing. He's, He's good at it. Names have meaning. What name did God give you, friend? Sinner? He changed it to saint. A nobody to his beloved. So, Neil Anderson, and we have these at and Guest Central, and this really uh, has helped me back in the day so who am I in Christ? This is where we have to realize that our culture is trying to steal our identity. As a follower of Jesus Christ, 
This is all biblical. I am God's child. I am God's friend. I have been justified. I'm united with the Lord. I'm bought with a price. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. Not made of stone in a corner of some cathedral somewhere, but you're a living saint, by the way. I'm glad for that. I've been adopted as God's child. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. That's just for starters. That's how God sees you. That's your identity. I hit that a little bit last week. (laughs) When we don't know who we are, the world can dictate who we are. Because we don't know who we are. But when you know who you are, and you're anchored in what the Bible says about you and what God says about you, it doesn't matter what people say about you or think about you or call you. (laughs) Daniel means God is my judge, and judge, by the way, it's not judge, you're guilty. No, it's judge, you've been forgiven. See? You're forgiven. My grace has been extended to you. So they change it to belt, belt of Chazar, which means bell protects me. Bell, by the way, was a title for a demonic god, Marduk. You see that? How they flipped it? Hananiah means Yahweh. God has shown grace. God is gracious. Shadrach is the command of Aku. That's a moon god. Mishael means, who can compare to my God? No one. There's a song about that, isn't there? Who compares to my God? No one. You've never heard that song? It is. There's a song, man. (laughs) Nobody compares to my God. Meshach is, who is what Eku is? That's another God. Azariah means, Yahweh, the Lord is my helper. Abednego means, servant of Nebo. That's another pagan God. You see that? They're talking about the characteristics of the one true God. They were named by their Jewish parents. And in Babylon, they flip it to their phony baloney gods. You know? And so, what do you notice when you read through the book of Daniel? Does Daniel start calling himself Belteshazzar? Yes or no? No, he doesn't. You go through all 12 chapters and you'll find Daniel always refers to himself as Daniel. Why? Because he said, they may call me Belteshazzar, but I know who I am. God is my judge. You see it? For all 70 years, man, he kept his name. He was true to the Lord. And man, do we need that kind of help today? A commitment to stay true to the Lord. No matter what anybody else calls me, I know I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm adopted into his family. I'm chosen by him. He loves me. That's, That's encouraging for all of us. And so, as we close out this morning, I want to ask you, recognize... We need to recognize that at some time, you and I are going to be tempted to conform. Somebody's going to try and pull a switch on your name. For that reason, it's critical to have a plan for staying true to who God made you to be, friend. I need, just think for a moment. Do you, have you predecided 
your core values? Do you know what God says about you? Because if you don't, this week, get into the Bible and make that a personal assignment. I need to know who God sees me, what God calls me. What's my name in the eyes of God? Because we are all being tempted to conform today, friends. Let's be true to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the example of Daniel. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of, oh, man, so much turmoil, so much confusion, so many crises going on in the world, Lord, we can keep, we can take our eyes off of you and suddenly become full of anxiety and depression, Lord, where it looks hopeless, but we pray that we will see you as being with us in Babylon. You have not abandoned us, Lord. You want to help us thrive, thrive, not just survive, but thrive in this culture today. And Lord, we want to do that. We want to thrive. We don't want to become casualties. We don't want to lose our backbone. We want to stand up for what's true and right, to know what we believe in, because you've made it clear to us through your word. Forgive us, Lord, if we have uh, just kind of waffled and lost our backbone, just kind of followed what everybody else is doing. Lord, forgive us for doing that. And help us to get back into your word to, to see what you've already said about these life issues. We'll follow after you, Lord, all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.